Hey guys, Evan from Gymaware. We're really happy to be supporting Coach Demayo's podcast series once again. For those who don't know, our main product is Gymaware. It's the gold standard for measuring performance and implementing velocity-based training in the weight room. It excels in busy team training environments, and for many coaches, it's the Swiss Army knife of their toolkit. The Gymaware is used for athlete profiling, jump testing, fatigue monitoring, and for listing within velocity zones. The system provides real-time feedback on individual targets, plus it's got an impressive range of leaderboards. Now, for those that are after a VBT device that's affordable, for the individual and for smaller groups, we recently released our new laser-based product, Flex. Importantly, it's been independently validated and proven to be both accurate and reliable. So if you're interested in either product, or you wanna learn more about the velocity-based training and how it can help you as a coach, check out our website or contact us directly. So in the meantime, we trust you enjoy the Coach Demayo's podcast, Outside the Rack. The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some fantastic practitioners that are always searching for more. But more what? What are strength and conditioning coaches searching for to better their ability to prepare their athletes? Well, what about cutting edge information? or a place where you can find different opinions from forward-thinking coaches on what you're doing, how you're doing, and try to get feedback to be better for your athletes? Or what about a place where you'll find like-minded coaches that can provide solid coaching advice and career development for you as you progress through your career as a strength and conditioning professional? Well, this is exactly why we built the Strength Coach Network. You'll have access to exclusive monthly content on top of the sensationally active forum that we have where you can communicate with coaches all over the world to find those answers that you're looking for to help you be a better practitioner for your athletes. So make sure you hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the 71st episode of Outside the Rack, brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of GymAware. In this show, we're just going to try to dive a little deeper into the minds of the top practitioners in the world of sport performance to learn a little bit more about who they actually are and how they got to where they are today. Today, we are joined by the Director of Applied Sports Science at the University of Kentucky, Dr. Chris Morris. Doc, thanks for spending the time with us today, man. I appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. It's great to chop it up. It's great to see it. It's always great to, to catch up a bit. Super glad you're doing well, man, and everything's good out there in Lexington. But before we get going too far, man, who is Dr. Morris? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a um, former athlete, fell in love with, with just sport in general. Um, went to UK, walked on as a punter, kicker, should have been a tight end. Three injuries there, graduated with a, a bachelor's degree in business, hated business, went back to school, decided to figure out why I got hurt in the first place, and then got my master's and PhD in ex-phys. Um, there I met my wife, who was in dental school. Um, she's now an orthodontist here in, in Lexington, and we had our first child uh, this year, as bad as 2020 has been. We welcomed our, our little daughter, 10-month-old Maddie, into the world, and, you know, it's... It, it, even as bad as this year has been for a lot of people, there's silver linings for us. And I got to spend a lot of time with her in the quarantine phase in the spring when I would have never had that opportunity. So, uh, and it really helped kind of create that bonding opportunity for me. But 
yeah, man, just, you know, family guy now and living my life at UK, my alma mater and having a good time. That's awesome, man. It's, it's hard to believe it was February, right? Maddie came in January. Oh. Yeah, January. So she was supposed to be a February baby. And then uh, she came four weeks early, uh, which perfect timing. The, the ironic thing is we were at the bowl game, literally had just landed from our bowl game. My wife was like, you know, I don't feel good. Like something's a little off. Uh, and we just happened to check her blood pressure and we were in the hospital that night. We didn't deliver that night. Uh, they, they sent us home, which was awesome because it gave me a few days where I had to finish the nursery and things. And it's just, it's, it's funny because I felt like Maddie knew that I had two weeks where before I had to go back to work because of football, we were off. And she came and I was able to spend those, those couple weeks with my wife. And, you know, so a little early, but yeah, she's, she's doing great. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And, you know, as a guy who's, done enough digging to change his first name i'm excited to hear the first one yeah if you wouldn't mind describe a learning situation that brought about an epiphany in your career yeah no so like i said i went and got my master's at uk with the idea that i wanted to be a strength coach i wanted to get into performance um and then i realized you know it was strength and conditioning and my wife was going to be a you know an orthodontist and realized that um, she couldn't be the only one to have a doctor in front of her name. So I was like, I'll go ahead and get my PhD. We'll both be miserable together. So I had the opportunity. So, you know, I was already masters, CSCS, all that good stuff I was going to be a strength coach, but I had the opportunity when, you know, Eric came to Kentucky and brought Omega away with them. And having the opportunity, I felt like I caught lightning in a bottle there because Omega Wave was just recently just kind of coming up in the U S no one really knew about it. Um, studying Omega Wave as a strength coach who thought he knew everything uh, was like the biggest mind-blowing experience for me. Um, only from what I consider, like, if, if you look at like the, the principles behind Omega Wave, so obviously general adaptation syndrome and cellular, who's probably by far my favorite researcher, um, Anakin's functional assistance theory, and then uh, when you talk about Bevsky and biological cybernetics, but if we think about what Cellier did, and people can be really critical of his work, especially in strength and conditioning, all he did in animals, it doesn't count, it's not strength and conditioning, but if you just step back and look what he really did, all is he was saying that the body has a very systematic response to a non-specific stress. No matter what the stress is, the body's going to respond accordingly. And so if you keep fast forwarding, uh, through that, my thought process will then every time the body deviates from homeostasis or there is a stress, we're using something to compensate for it. And that's when the first idea that we have a gas tank kind of came about. Like we have a limited supply of resources to adapt. So I was like, oh, epiphany. So if I can think, if I can reduce all these areas of stress, and optimize blood glucose and, you know, oxygen delivery and, you know, academic stress and all these things. And theoretically, in the weight room, I can raise the level of stress and have a better adaptive response. And that was like, like mind blowing for me, because I was like, why aren't we looking for meditation and all these things that we know that are reducing stress, because, you know, we can, we can make better athletes. Well, it wasn't until I got into functional systems theory that realized how big the brain plays a role in regulating stress. So if we think about functional systems, 
And I think about the athletes that come in, because at that point, we had already been seeing like a lot of Omegways from all these different backgrounds. And so we would see kids that come in with just red line every day, red line every day, every day, every day. And I was like, what are they doing outside this facility? They're just, they're, they're always in the state of stress. And what I realized was, and in studying functional systems is, that's 18 years that we don't know about this kid. We, we kind of know about their background, but we really don't know. So you dig a little bit deeper and we, okay, we find out that this kid doesn't come from a great situation. This kid, um, his family is depending on them getting to the, the NFL so they can support him. So not only is he getting stressed here in the weight room, but then he's also dealing with the family and the crushing pressure. Um, and that was put into place many, 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 many years ago today, or leading up to that day. Now, what is kind of scary as a new parent, as I start to think about, is like every experience that I, you know, allow Maddie to be in, that is basically shaping how she's going to behave and adapt later on as adults. It's kind of scary as a parent uh, because every situation um, that that she's presented with is ultimately going to shape her behavior when she becomes an adult so you're looking at all these athletes and it's like man there's there's so many backgrounds here and you're, and you're trying to figure out like you know why are these kids stressing who's adapting who's not adapting and, and realizing that they all have this one gas tank and our job as strength coaches not only to you know make them bigger faster stronger but how can we help on the other side with the recovery piece and we always thought about recovery as like, oh, you eat and you sleep. Yeah, those are the easy things. But if you think about like, all right, how do we help them do better in school? How do we help them be more grateful? How do we help them become better people? Because ultimately, happier people, more grateful people, people that take care of the schoolwork have less stress and end up being better athletes. And so, you know, just my work with Omega, I know I went in like 5,000 different circles there, but like, just knowing that one with Cellier's work, we have a gas tank and that we can run through that gas tank and everything that deviates homeostasis pulls from that. And then on the flip side is we have this central component with the brain that's controlling all that stuff. Uh, and oftentimes our biggest stressor is our own mind. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, we talk about like, oh, is that person you know, talking bad about me or that coach doesn't like me or that we put like these perceptions in our head of like these stressful situations that don't really exist. And those things actually end up being more chronically stressors than physical training and, you know, things that we normally think about as being bad stress. Oftentimes our biggest stressor is our own mind. Yes. And I find that true myself too, because it's oh, totally. No, and especially with social media and the election and everything, it's it's crazy how, you know, regardless, and we won't get into the political side of things, but you know, you have a friend that you've been friends with forever, like good friends, and they post something that's of the opposing political party. And it triggers you. Like you you kind of get mad, like, why am I friends with this person? And you know, if, if you think about like evolutionarily wise, like we used to trigger those systems when we were getting chased by lions, not when someone disagrees with us on social media. And so like, you think about like all these things that are kind of, again, and I have to, I have to remind myself, I was like, was that worth 
you know, losing maybe, you know, that rep I did in the gym today. Like that just pulled away from my ability to adapt for my workout. Was that work? I mean, they're a great friend to me, like, you know, the way they treat me, but because something triggered me on like, so I have to remind myself a lot of the times that, you know, they weren't attacking me. They were just had a view about our current president or our new president that's going to be about that I didn't agree with. That wasn't a personal attack on me. And it doesn't, you know, it's not going to, you know, affect my life in any way. But people, you're starting to see this disturbing trend of people stressing about things that really have no impact on them whatsoever. No, a trillion percent. And I think that just to kind of go back to the strength and conditioning aspect of it, like the biggest stressors in our own mind is simply the reason why, like what we were talking about before we got going, when people sit here and they look at whatever reading or score you're taking and they automatically make a decision about what a kid or an athlete or a person is going to do without understanding who that person is and talking to them because if you're stressed out the one thing you might have to do is go lift heavy or you're going to trip out even more and it's like going back to it it's like oh like there's you know stuck in sympathetic overreaching so they got to go sit in the warm tub and relax but what if they don't like water like (laughs) why are you gonna put them in a tub you know like that's that's brilliant i think that's one of the things too that like i i don't think i could have said it in you know that few words and be as well stated but it's like that's probably one of the biggest takeaways i've had you know with the tech too is it's just like you know you, you got to chill and take a step back and be like yeah and sometimes like the, this statement i've come to find out that ignorance is bliss you know especially the more i know about how the brain works and how stress works and i'm like i'm sitting here looking at my daughter and it's just like all right, she's got her princess playhouse and um, she has all the things that she needs. And, um, you know, if I, you know, play ball with her and what, what outcome is that going to have of a little, like just, it, my mind goes nonstop when I look at her and be like, within two years, 85% of her brain is going to be developed, but it's the 15% after that, that becomes the most important with the frontal cortex, which handles emotion and the amygdala, which they kind of counteract each other. It's like, okay, when something triggers you, when something, you know, the amygdala, which was our stress center, it's the frontal cortex that basically says, hey, calm down, you're being irrational. There's no need to get the sympathetic nervous system activated. Um, and what you see is like children in, in a, we, we're not in a, like a abusive situation, but you see like studies that children that grew up in abusive situations have very developed amygdalas, underdeveloped frontal cortex so as adults they become more likely to be abusive because this thing's firing all the time without having this you know other side of it so i'm knowing this stuff and it's like all right what what kind of environment does maddie need to be in and like all right you know now i gotta work on motor development like what am i gonna do today she's got to overcome adversity or do i need to let her fall and you know so she doesn't like you know it's okay to get hurt but don't freak out like 
these are all the, and that's why I'm like, man, ignorance is bliss. Like if I wasn't sitting here freaking like, so there's my mind, right? Like I'm sitting here stressing about this um, and pulling away from resources. It's just, it, it's crazy. Even though that, you know, these things, like it's, you, you have a hard time kind of reining it in and controlling it. Meanwhile, our parents have just been like, you're fine. Rub some dirt on it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of get into now is just, and that's the thing I keep, I keep telling my wife is like, Maddie falls, she's going to be hurt, but we have to try to remain calm because if we get like kind of anxious, then the child is going to get anxious. I read too much. I shouldn't read that much into it, but it's true. There's certain things I want my daughter to be in life. And, you know, the way that I see our current, you know, culture, and if this election has taught us anything, as like, I'll, I, I called it lessons. Like I write them down. I was like oh, lessons for my daughter. I was like, I want my daughter to be able to argue constructively and with logic without becoming emotional. Cool. Um, Today, so, so that's what I mean. Like that's a huge task, right? Because if the election showed you anything, fifty percent of the people are going to disagree with you, and and you're not going to change their mind because, and, and in fairness, like their experiences have shaped their values and their values are what they're going to hold to so you know and and i have no problem saying this you know like I'm, I'm very much against abortion and i know a lot of people and i respect everyone the reason why is because you know i had a moment when we tried so hard for maddie and you know when we're in the doctor's office and they did the ultrasound for the first time like they said oh you know there's little maddie this six week old baby and you saw this little flicker right and he's like that's her heartbeat and like, for me, that struck me as like, that's the same heartbeat that's in that girl's chest today. And like, for me, like that value, no matter what side of the fence you're on, if you're pro-life or pro-choice, like those pro-choice people have a reason for that value statement. Like arguing with them is only gonna create stress between that person and you. And it's okay to disagree. It doesn't make them any less of a person, you know, judge them by their character, not by their, you know, how they feel about certain controversial subjects so but sorry i got a little little emotional with the heartbeat thing but you know <laughs> but that that's how values are right we're we're, right. we're holding to our values so you know when people say oh how can you vote for that person i was like well, i'm really for this really you know is my thing whether i'd like the person that i get to vote for that's not my i don't have a choice there so i hear you but yeah it's that that the election and Maddie in 2020 and just kind of viewing the world and knowing I know it just there there's certain things I want Maddie to be and I understand that these early years are really critical. So, well, at the end of the day, these snake people that are running this experiment on all of us or whatever they are, the lizard people, whatever that stupid conspiracy theory is, they're just going to be like, look at these two idiots talking about exercise on the internet. <laughs> And, and you know the crazy thing is there's probably some conspiracy tree theories that are actually true and we just have no clue that goes back to like ignorance is bliss. ignorance is bliss there though bud i mean for sure maybe living in saying ignorance truly is bliss you know maybe who knows i've just seen too many people in point with this election lose friendships and I, and like and I, and I have to it's so easy now right because we can just click unfollow right so what happens is we have an environment where we can just shield ourselves from anything that might potentially like disturb us. We create safe spaces on colleges. We can unfollow people. But in reality, we have to have a healthy 
amount of adversity to learn how to cope and deal with these things. So that's kind of the flip side is like with Maddie, it's like, I want her to be challenged. Like if I, you know, prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Like if she never has grown up with any adversity when she gets out as an adult and someone challenges her, she's going to like, it's going to activate the amygdala. She's going to freak out. She's going to get emotional. So it's like, just like the body, when we train, we have to have damage to have growth and has to come back stronger. We have to have these kind of, you know, controversial adversity experiences in our life that we can adapt and grow from becoming anti-fragile. No doubt. No doubt. But listen, doc, we talked a little bit about this one before. And as a guy who digs and a guy who's looking into things in different ways than we ever thought we would 10 years ago when we started down all these rabbit holes. If Chris Morris could ask one question, he knows he's going to get the answer to it. What would that question be and why? Yeah, that's, um, gosh, like, like I said, you could immediately go to the God questions. Um, you know, why did you let sin into the world? Like you could have stopped it, you know, all these things, but you know, that, that's, that's not going to help me much on my, my time here on earth. So, you know, given everything that I talked about and like how dangerous the mind can be and how often our biggest stress is our own mind, how do you have, how do you can become a complete master of your own mind? So it, it's a level of consciousness that to say, it, it's almost like, all right, I, I can feel the stress. I could feel the amygdala activating it. And, and part of that is too, is like, we, we kind of already know some of those answers, but it's like the Buddhist kind of meditation transcendental thing. But, you know, it's, you know, how do we, how do we tame the mind? How do you tame the mind? Because it's always going, right? And, you know, the more that I look into the, these anti-agings and the, what ages us in stress, it, it's typically, it starts up here. Everything that happens the neck down is 100% a product of how healthy your brain is. Um, and, and we kind of look at all the studies on gratitude and how that helps and, you know, compassion and meditation. And it's all centered around the structures in the brain. So I, I really do, like if, if someone could come down and just give me the blueprint, like Chris, this is what you need to do to become a master of your own mind. I mean, think about like the life that you could have um, not from just, I mean, I'd be yoked in the weight room. That would be awesome, right? All my, my resources go into the gym. That's where I'd spend it. But just like the quality with your family and your daughter and your, your sons and, you know, the downstream effects of that, I think would be profound. Um, but it, it's, but like I said, that that's just because my, that epiphany moment and knowing that I have a gas tank and I know that my brain is basically dictating everything in my behavior in my body. If I could, if you can control that and you could teach that to people, think about how many people you could help. Like think about how many athletes you can help. Um, so I know that it's kind of like we know some of those answers, but I don't feel like we do know the answer. Like how do you actually become a master of your own mind? I dig that, man, because I almost wonder, too, if that would take the governor off, right? And 
let you even tap into more of it. Yeah, I, I and I do. I mean, we we talk about you know with the brain, um, and we talk about all its functions and how it dictates behavior, and it's just. I don't know. I keep, I keep just going back to like having complete control and it's almost like, uh, it, it is Buddhist, man. I, I can't, I can't think of, and I'm not Buddhist by any means, but like the whole thought process, the transcendental, like seeing the world in a different kind of view and a lens and how much happier that can kind of make people. But, um, yeah, and maybe it does. Maybe it's like limitless. Maybe it unlocks areas of the brain that, you know, are, are under function because the, at the end of the day, like, remember, the brain takes up a, a decent amount of your whole body energy, just a function. Um, and we start talking about like books like Thinking Fast and Slow and how the brain has to preserve energy. And, you know, if we can preserve energy, um, and it goes back to that gas tank, it's like the gas tank of the brain. Like if I could, if I could direct all that energy into different components, I feel like, you know, you could have a much better, you know, outcome. Well, and you think of it too, right? That it's the two aspects of the brain or the, the devil and the angel on your shoulder, more or less. So if they don't fight as much, how much more energy do you have to tap into what's left? Right. You know, does it now like move that governor back from, you know, 15% to 25% and all of a sudden, you know, like we can actually do trigonometry without a calculator. Exactly. I mean, think about that, like that, that increase in brain function, but um, the amount of clarity you get. And if you study like all the high performers, like what's the number one thing? If you read all these books on high performance habits and, you know, high performance life and all this stuff, they always talk about the number one thing, clarity. Like think about like just having ultimate clarity uh, in your, your purpose, your vision, just like your brain, no fog, no stress, no just I mean, I don't know. It seems like nirvana and heaven. Maybe that's what heaven is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. But I think that that's a pretty rad question. I think, too, that that kind of ties in pretty good with the, the first one. Like, you know, the whole, it runs it all. And diving down that first time when, I don't know if Eric, when he went up there, if they still had, the suction cup leads and uh, the clamps for the wrists and the ankles on the Omega wave. And, uh, you know, the first time you sit there and you look at it and you're watching the EKG and it's like, all right, what am I diving into? Yep. Even, even when I first started, I'm like, like, what, what is this? Like, what am I doing? Like it, but you know, you, the biggest blessing that I had is we had so many guys that tested and you got to hear so much of their backgrounds and then things just started making sense, right? The guy that was sympathetically dominant who had a poor home life, um, you know, his sympathetic nervous system, he always was engaged, right? And his brake never got, you know, pushed in. So um, what ends up happening to that kid? It, almost all of my sympathetic dominant kids that I've had have had catastrophic injuries high ankle sprain that never recovered. So the syndemosis joint basically calcified it. It was a maladaptation, right? So if I don't recover, the body's like, well, I got to do something with this injury. So I'm basically just going to lock it down. 
So think about a guy that is a skill position that can't now change directions because it's so painful. That send emotions joint doesn't work. Um, or the guy that's so sympathetically dominant that, you know, is running down the field and tears his ACL, no contact, just running, the amount of fatigue. You know, like, it, it's just, I've never seen a good situation. Always begs the question, should we even be training the muscles or do we need to be training the mind right now? Like, we need to fix the mind before we can fix anything downstream. So it's like, if I can't get the parasympathetic nervous system, and then that's hard. And when I try to explain it to a strength coach, when they're like, what do we do with this kid? I'm like, he needs to be meditating. He needs to be floating. He needs to be, you know, we maybe therapy, HRV biofeedback, heart rate coherence. Like we need to start just stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system activity because otherwise it's like, he's never going to recover from training. So what's the point? And it's a really hard concept like to think about. So like, well, he's got to train. He's an athlete you're yeah but like all right maybe maybe have him work up but keep his volume super low if he has to train then all right then we'll keep the intensity and we'll we'll try to maintain what he has but we got to fix this because otherwise this guy's seen it lead to disastrous results so but yeah that's um it's tough right we don't think about it that way we're not taught that way i mean how many strength coaches and i look at our curriculums it's you know, we learn methods, but we don't learn the principles, the physiological underpinnings behind those methods. All right, this is linear periodization. This is block periodization. It's all rooted in stimulus, compensation, supercompensation, cellier, but we don't really appreciate that. I really don't. I think we talk about it. It's like, oh, this is this is what this curve looks like, and it came from cellier because this is what his general adaptation curve looked like, and there's the similarities. All right, we're moving on. This is how you snatch. So, you know... Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh yeah, that, that looks the same. And uh, here's the double knee bit. Exactly. Let, yeah. Let's learn these methods. And so often I get these kids in my class and I, and I start talking about these things and I'm like, could you literally, all right, write out your program. I want you to tell me everything that's adapting in this program. What are the changes that you're making? And I'd say 90% of them can't tell me. And it's concerning. And I'm like, so what we're teaching these kids are a bunch of methods and we're not really diving into the principles which are founded in physiology. Um, more so like to me, I was like, if I've had this epiphany of, oh gosh, there's other stressors that are gonna impact my weight room session outside the weight room and that stress is global, like you have a greater appreciation for how you program. I don't know, that maybe that's just me, but. I think. I think people who have been fortunate enough to trip and fall down that rabbit hole, because I don't think anybody goes into it willingly, like initially. Um, I think that a lot of us look at it differently. And it's like, it really has, has done that for me too. Cause it's just like, cause think about this too, right? So like you're asking undergrads this, when you were an undergrad, and then we'll get to the third one after this, but when you were an undergrad, could you have ever met, well, I mean, you were a business major, so that's not really fair, but um, when, when you were an undergrad playing football and they were telling you, yeah, but you're probably the, the biggest impact your training's having right now is on your immune system. 
you would have looked at the guy in the face and been like, you're out of your skull. What are you talking about? I'm getting, you, do you see these cameras? you see these guns? That's what it's having the effect on. It's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And that, and that's a tough thing for these kids to get their heads wrapped around too. Like even the athletes, it's like, Oh, I tested poor. Well, what does that mean? Um, like, how's that going to affect my training? Like how, like they don't make that connection. And that, and part of that's on us is, you know, we have to get them to buy into it, but it, it's, it's a very, um, it's a, it's a complex thought, like to understand how my heart is telling me like basically what, what I can adapt to today. Um, and, you know, and, and then you get into functional systems theory. I mean, I read that paper probably like 25 times maybe before I really even started to somewhat understand it. But once you understand it, it's incredible how you think about the world and you think about other people and their experiences and their behavior. And so I'm sorry, I'm going down that rabbit hole again, but um, yeah. I love it. I think that's awesome. I think that this is stuff that more and more people hopefully are, are starting to, to catch on to. But listen, Doc, when we get shot here on the third one, man, like running around teaching, working with all the kids at, at UK, doing all this stuff. Eventually, you got to come back to neutral, brother. So what's Chris Morris's escape? So, you know, it's one thing, like, we – every night when we – well, at least when it was warm, like, my wife and I, we would take Maddie out and we'd go for a walk. We have a big 120-pound German Shepherd, and – and it wasn't like training. It was probably, like we might be walking three and a half miles an hour, but it was just a chance for us to book. Cause I mean, she's in clinic all day. I'm at UK all day. We don't get to see Maddie. I mean, we have a nanny. And then, so it's, it's an opportunity for us to be with Maddie, but also talk about our day. Um, and for us, sometimes it, it helps us because we bounce things off of each other. It's like, Hey, this thing kind of like, you know, upset me or like, Hey, this thing was like really tough. And then, you know, we're, we're very much polar opposites. She's very type A, I'm very type A or B. And so we just kind of feed off each other's energy. Like, you know, she's ramped up, I bring her down. Like, I'm really kind of like lax about it, she me up and, you know, and, it, and it's not like it's a long way. I mean, we might walk a mile or two, but it's, it, we know that every day we're gonna have an opportunity to talk um, un uninterrupted about whatever we want. And, you know, that people will say the weight room. Yeah, absolutely. The weight room is an escape. You know, I love the lift weights, but you know, there's nothing more that you get out of just being with your family and the gratitude that you get, no matter what happened that day, you're going to come home. You're going to have your wife, you're going to have your daughter. Um, and that's what matters. So it, it just allows me to kind of anchor myself back every day to what actually is important. Digging, man. That's awesome. Doc, so grateful for your time, man. Truly appreciate you spending the time with us today. And, you know, always great to chop it up, man. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. We'll be in touch real soon, brother. Cheers. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay.